You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, then take that one with you. That's our gift to you this morning. You heard how important it was uh, for Cherie to have that Bible gifted to her when she first became a Christian. And so if that's you this morning, uh, let that be our gift to you. So, let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll just read the first verse for you. He says, Paul, to the church in Corinth and to us this morning, he says, Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. All right, so that's our introduction to this topic this morning. Paul's saying to us, as far as spiritual gifts goes, he doesn't want us to be unaware. He doesn't want us to lack knowledge and understanding. And I want to say, on behalf of everyone here this morning, there is, to varying degrees, unawareness in this congregation. For some of us, this is the first time we've heard of this idea of spiritual gifts. It sounds a little bit spooky, a little bit weird. For others of us, we've been trying to pursue spiritual gifts for many years, but for all of us, there is a level of unawareness. And Paul's writing to a church in Corinth who were kind of obsessed by spiritual gifts. For them, how gifted you were spiritually, and particularly when it comes to the more miraculous gifts, that kind of determined how mature you were as a Christian. Now, Paul's going to correct that in the course of this, these three chapters. But even to those people in that church who are so kind of focused on spiritual gifts, he says to them, I don't want you to be unaware He wants us to understand spiritual gifts. And the reason he wants us to understand them is because he knows that they are vital if the church is going to be built up. If the church is going to come to maturity, then spiritual gifts need to be both understood and practiced. So what are spiritual gifts? Let's come in at the right at the bottom level. Let's assume that this is the first time we've ever come across this. I've got a good little definition here from, from Tim Keller. He says, every Christian, mark that, every Christian receives spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is an ability that comes to you freely for the purpose of ministering to to needs so as to build up Christian community in size and depth. That's a big sentence. Most important things to note, every Christian receives something freely, that is, that's the nature of a gift, right? You don't earn it. It's given to you by God for the purpose of ministering to needs. And the outcome is that the Christian community, the church, is built up in size and depth. This doesn't mean gifts only meet the needs of Christians. They meet needs broadly in Jesus' name. As a witness and sign of the coming kingdom. The bottom line is that every Christian is in ministry through the church. So if you are unaware of this, you haven't been here before. Because we're constantly telling you, you are the ministers of this church. That's not me. I'm not the minister and then there's all these people who turn up on Sunday. No, we are all ministers in God's church. And that's why he gifts each one of us for ministry in his church. And so he goes on in verse 4 to 7. He says this, There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. 
a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. He's very emphatic about this. Each person, every person. If you're a Christian here this morning, then you have been gifted by God for ministry in his church. Now, the point is not in in what follows. Paul's point, his purpose, is not to give us an exhaustive list of all of the different gifts that the Spirit gives. That's not his point. His point is just to say, whatever the gifts are that you have, they've been given to you from one source, from God himself. It's the Spirit who gives gifts. We know that it's not an exhaustive list that he gives here, though he goes on in verse 8 and following to give us some examples of gifts that we're going to look at in the coming couple of months. But we know it's not an exhaustive list because elsewhere he gives examples of different gifts. So in Romans 12, he says this, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Right? So he's, he's giving all these different examples of gifts that he doesn't mention in 1 Corinthians, but he mentions in Romans. So the point is, his purpose is not to give us an exhaustive list. His purpose in these verses that we've just read is to remind us where these gifts come from and what their purpose is. Ephesians 4, he'll talk about gifts as well. In this case, the gifts are people. Not gifts given to people, but people given as gifts. Prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right? Given as gifts to the church for the same purpose, that is to build up the body of Christ. So his point is, each one of us has been given a gift. Those gifts are many and varied. The point is that they all come from the Spirit and they all have the same purpose. So he says, verse 7, we read that again. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Where does it come from? The Spirit. What's it for? The common good. The building up of God's people up into maturity. And so it's really fascinating and I didn't pick up on this four years ago when I first preached on this to you guys, but it's really, it's really just hit me for the first time as I was studying for this series that these gifts that we're talking about are not just things that God gives us. They are God himself in us. So not so much the gifts of God, but God in his gifts. I like the way Sam Storms says it. Sam Storms says, Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts must never be viewed deistically, as if a God out there has sent something to us down here. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, human love. And so to pursue spiritual gifts, like we're trying to do in this series, is to pursue God himself, which is what life is all about. 
a manifestation of the Spirit is given. So there we go. There's a sort of broad view of spiritual gifts and you can probably include just aptitudes that you have by nature. You might be good at communicating with people. You might be good at um, having empathy and compassion for people. You might be good at organizing people. These might be natural aptitudes that you would have had whether you became a Christian or not that God then takes once you've been saved by him and uses for the good of his church, right? It's There's a broad view here of what a spiritual gift is. The point is that it comes from God himself and it's used for the purpose of building up the church. So going from the broad view of gifts, then let's narrow in now on these more miraculous gifts. And I don't want to get bogged down too much in the controversy around this. You might be here this morning, you never knew there was any controversy to begin with. Praise God, right? That's, That's fine. Um, you might know full well about this whole controversy and land in a very different place to where I've landed or where our kind of church position is, and that's okay too. As we've said over and over and over again, we don't need to have unanimity on these things. We are all, uh, we are all brought together and unified in the gospel of Jesus alone. And then we can talk about some of these other things. But the controversy really is when it comes to the more miraculous gifts of the Spirit, what what are called the sign gifts, gifts of healing, prophecy, and speaking in tongues, and words of knowledge, and things of that nature. And the two kind of sides of this debate are kind of referred to as continuationists and cessationists, right? So continue and cease, Um, Continuationists believe that the gifts we read about in the New Testament that were functioning in the first century church continue all through church history to today and are still present and active today. And therefore, we should pursue them and try to exercise them. Cessationists believe that those more miraculous gifts ceased to be used in the first century. Most of those cessationists believe that once the Bible was complete, then those gifts weren't required anymore and therefore don't function anymore. So I've got a couple of different uh, definitions here. And and so first of all, cessationism. Cessationism is the view that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, such as healing, tongues, prophetic revelation, pertain to the apostolic era only, right? When the apostles were around and doing their thing. They served a purpose that was unique to establishing the early church and passed away before the canon of Scripture was closed. So that's one view, and it's a view that can be logically and consistently defended. I think it's a weak view. I don't think it's the right view, but I respect and have many, many, many friends. In fact, most of the people from my kind of tribe of Christianity land here, right? And, they, and they're quite certain that, that, that this view is right. You can be an active and um, important member of this church and hold this view. It's just not where I land or where we as a church are coming from, all right? So there's cessationism. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec. Continuationism. Continuationists believe that all spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament continue today and are given by the Spirit according to His will. These gifts are to be eagerly pursued and practised for the edification of the local church. All right, so there you got cessationism, 
continuationism. Now, here's why this is important, right? Here's why this is not just a, a nerdy Bible thing that I got into and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of foisting it on you this morning. It's important for us to wrestle with this because, because of what Paul says in his letters about spiritual gifts. So here's a little summary of some of the things Paul says on pursuing spiritual gifts. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, this, this makes this debate important for you, all right? Here, here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 12 that we're in this morning, earnestly desire the higher gifts, he says, and he's referring to some of those more miraculous gifts like prophecy. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, again, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, In Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. So there you've got Paul throughout his letters to different churches, so it's not just a local context thing, he's talking to the churches that he's planted and is in correspondence with, he says, you need to desire these gifts, especially some of these more controversial gifts. So if we are Bible-loving people, and if you're part of this church, then I'm sure you are. It's kind of why you're here, right? If you love the Bible, then this is, this is why this question is important. Because if Paul is telling us to pursue the gifts, then we need to figure out whether... He really is telling us to pursue them and then we should pursue them or whether he's just telling those guys to pursue them and it doesn't really apply to us. There's actually three options before us this morning and I don't want us to leave here this morning without settling on at least one of the first two. The third one is the most common one and it's the worst one, all right? Let me, let me uh, take you to these three options. So here we go. We've heard Paul say, pursue the, the spiritual gifts, especially some of those really ones that make us nervous, all right? The continuationist response is to take these imperatives at face value and thus to pursue all the spiritual gifts of which Scripture speaks, all right? So we hear what Paul says and we say, he's saying that to me. I should be obedient to what Paul says, so I'm going to pursue spiritual gifts. Even the weird ones like prophecy, right? That's, that's the continuationist response. The cessationist response is to argue that these imperatives do not apply to the post-apostolic church, right? So the church from like the first century till now. And therefore, we should not seek to observe them today. Again, that's a consistent view. They're not for us, and so I won't pursue them. The cautious response is to affirm that the charismatic gifts are for today, but that because they are so often misused or divisive, we should not especially pursue them. We should be open to God speaking prophetically or healing through us, but we should not actively seek them, let alone eagerly desire them in our churches or personal lives, because to do so might open us up to error, imbalance, or silliness. This, according to Andrew Wilson, 
is the most commonly practiced position of the three in the Western church today, it is also by far the least defensible. And I'm just here in front of you as someone who has, for the majority of my Christian life, exercised the third and weakest and silliest option of the three. Yes, I believe the gifts continue today, but let's just calm down, all right? We don't want to get out of hand. We did. I've seen that stuff go wrong, right? I've seen people barking like dogs and calling it a gift of the Spirit. So we, just, we want to avoid all of that. It's the, it's the naturally conservative response. Things can get crazy out there. Let's just lock the doors. And Andrew Wilson says, and I agree, that's the one response we can't have. So I encourage you, I encourage you to take a position so long as you can (coughs) biblically ground your position. Let's not come to any kind of conclusions based on fear or on bad experience. I said last week or the week before, I've seen lots and heard lots of bad sermons, have given lots of bad sermons, and yet I haven't forbidden sermons in church. Let's apply the same logic to these gifts. It's worth noting now that we've sort of defined these positions and I've sort of outed myself as a continuationist, I do believe that gifts will cease. Paul believes and was very clear that the gifts will cease. Uh, He says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, he says, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. So he says, yes, these things are going to finish. They're going to cease. Everyone ultimately is going to be a cessationist. The question is, when will they cease? The cessationist says they ceased in the first century or in the first couple of centuries. Paul, on the other hand, says they won't cease until something happens. So he goes on in verse 9 and following. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. So he says, these gifts will cease when this happens, when I'm fully known when I'll see perfectly, when I've put away childish things and become a man. And the cessationists, to maintain their view, have to make that a first century thing. That doesn't work. What Paul is talking about here is the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, that time when Jesus will make all things new, when he will make all things perfect, when the perfect comes. 
He's referring to Jesus' second coming. So yes, we all agree that the gifts will cease. Prophecy, tongues will cease. But it's not a first century thing. It's not a closing of scripture thing. It's a second coming thing. So until that happens, in good faith, we expect God to be ministering by his spirit through his gifts. And I might just say, and we can talk about this, and I'm so happy to debate this, but the, the burden of proof is on the cessationist, not on the continuationist. The burden of proof to show us how the gifts have ceased is on the cessationist. I think until we can prove that that's the case, we ought to expect that things continue as they always have done, as God ministers to his church through his people by his gifts. All right, that was a little bit nerdy. Apologies if none of that made any sense. But it's an important thing to come to terms with. I want to focus in now, having dealt with some of that broader context, I want to just talk about a couple of gifts of the Spirit. And I'm sure we're not going to get time to look at discernment of spirits as I wanted to. If you've got a series guide, there's a little bit in it on that. Hopefully you can get to that in your small groups. But let's, um, let's just look at a few of the gifts that Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, okay? Here's what he says. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. We got that. He says, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. Now, there's a whole lot of gifts that are mentioned there. Uh, as I say, we're going to take a break next week, but the following week, I'm going to be looking at with you um, gifts of healing and faith and miracles. Uh, in week seven, we're going to get to prophecy, which he mentions there. We're going to give that its own, uh, its own message, because that's a big one. This morning, I just want to dip our feet in by looking at what, what it might mean for him to talk about a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge. Unfortunately, this is the only place in all of Scripture where it's mentioned at all. Um, and he doesn't define it for us, which is quite unhelpful, Paul. Um, <laughs> presumably the people he was writing to knew what he was referring to. But we, we can get some help by going to the narrative sections of Scripture like the Gospels or the, the Book of Acts, and seeing where these, these gifts that he mentions might be being exercised so we get a flavour for, for what, what they are and, and what their purpose is. So when it comes to a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, I think those two things are probably the same thing. I think they're, they're probably a subset of the, the gift of prophecy as kind of an overarching um, revelatory gift. It's revelatory because God reveals something to us that we wouldn't otherwise know. So uh, let me just read the little definition I have here for you. 
Gifts of knowledge or wisdom, prophecy, the discerning of spirits are revelatory, right? Word from revelation. They're revelatory gifts because they are often concerned with something the Holy Spirit reveals that could not otherwise be known. And I say often concerned with something that we wouldn't know without God revealing it to us because it's not always that case. So there have been times where I feel like I have exercised a, a gift like this and there isn't anything really miraculous about it because what I've done is been reading my Bible and thought, you know what, I really, I really think that, that John needs to know this today. And so then I go to John and I say, hey, I was reading in you know, Psalm 139 and I just thought that God wanted to say this to you. Now, I might be exercising a gift there But the truth is that Psalm 139 is always for John, like all of Scripture is always for John. And so in one sense, it's not as if something has been revealed to me that I wouldn't otherwise have known. I always knew that John needed to know Psalm 139, and I've just done the practice, the ministry of saying to him, you should check this out. Now, I think there's something really good going on there and something that we should pursue that's going on there, but it's not the same level of... So kind of miraculous, I guess, or um, as something else that's happened to me from time to time. For example, I once was at a party and uh, with a married couple that we were close to, and I saw the guy talking to a young lady that he knew, and it just hit me quite strongly that there was danger in that, what was going on. And I didn't say something to him straight away because I'm a coward. But later on, a couple of weeks later, I said to him, you know, I just can't get it out of my head. When you were talking to that girl, I just thought That's, there's danger there for your relationship with your wife. Like you might have a thing for her. Or like you might be imagining being with her. And he just kind of broke down. So, and it, and it was used by God to bring to the surface some, some reefs that he was sailing too close to. That was knowledge revealed to me that I wouldn't otherwise have seen. I, I, I see you guys chatting every morning over coffee after church, and I'm not like, hey, you just whatever I am, hang on a second. <laughs> right? So now often when we come to exercise these gifts, knowledge that's given to us that we wouldn't otherwise have known, there's a great deal of risk involved there. And so this is why I say over and over again, this series that we're going through needs to be experimental, not just theoretical. We need to actually take a step out and start doing some of these things, knowing that just with the, as with the Corinthians, we're going to be faltering, we're going to make mistakes, and we need to have grace for one another. So, enough of my anecdotal stuff. Let's, let's look at the scriptures. The first man that comes to mind when you're talking about gifts of revelation or a, a word of knowledge is obviously Jesus. This kind of thing happened to Jesus all the time. You read the Gospels, and it's always saying Jesus knew their thoughts, right? Or, or Jesus knows something about this person that he's never met before. The, the prime example is John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the woman at the well, right? Got a little interaction here. He says to her, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Right? So there's, there is a, a word of knowledge that Jesus has about that 
woman that he can't otherwise have had. She's a stranger. She's from a totally different region. She, he knows that she has five husbands. So, now, the, the obvious thing that comes to your mind when we start talking about Jesus exercising these things is, well, yeah, he's God, all right? He's in a different category. He knows all things. But I believe that Scripture teaches us that when Jesus became incarnate, he left aside, we talk about this in Philippians chapter 2, he left aside so much of his privileges as God and actually what was going on was in so many of these things where we think, wow, that was just astonishing. What he's doing is actually living in the Spirit. He's so full of the Holy Spirit that he exercises ministry and lives life how we would if we were absolutely filled to the brim with the Spirit and exercising gifts in that way. Now, it's not accurate to refer to Jesus as exercising spiritual gifts. We shouldn't use that language one thing, the gifts of the Spirit were given at Pentecost after his ascension. And so the, the language doesn't fit. But I'm just saying he was able to do these things because he was so full of the Spirit. And so in a similar way, by the exercise of gifts, we can walk in some of the ways that he walked. You go to the book of Acts and you see this happening more often in the early church. And so couple of examples, and again, these don't fit really neatly with, with, with everything. Like, everything doesn't fit together really neatly like an encyclopedia. But let's just look at a couple of things, and we could look at dozens. But Acts chapter 13. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here's what happened. As they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. I always just read through that and take it for granted that the Holy Spirit said that to them. The question is, how? Like, what, did, what happened? Like they, you know, it didn't, they didn't get a direct message you know, was it an audible voice? I don't know. Well, this is the question. Again, this is kind of left undefined for us. It's just taken as a matter of fact that the Spirit said this, and so they obeyed the Spirit. Could it be that someone in the group received a word of knowledge from God that this is what should happen? I don't know. It's, it's an example of how the gift of words of knowledge or wisdom might be exercised in the early church. Again, in, in Acts 14, you've got this situation where Paul sees a, a man that was born lame and it says he looked intently at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. What did he see? It wasn't written on his head, right? There's an, you can't see faith. It's not a physical manifestation. There's some revelation at work here. Something that God has revealed to Paul so that God's will could be done in healing this man. And all of that has come about in a way that Paul, Paul can't gain that knowledge by eating the right food, right? He can't gain that knowledge by trying really hard. It's something, he can't gain that knowledge from reading the Bible. It's something the Spirit has had to reveal directly to him. There's some really interesting examples of this in in history, in church history, I find the most, 
the most curious examples happen to people who don't believe that the gifts continue to this day. So people who say those gifts don't exist and then they experience that gift, that's their funny, right? It's at least ironic. And um, so I heard this interview recently with um, Douglas Wilson, who I really like. He's a Presbyterian minister. He, do- he believes that the gifts ceased. And yet he tells this story of a woman in his church and he had a, a dream or a vision. I think he was awake when it happened, that she was having an affair with a man and, he, and it was very... You know, the guy was tall, blonde hair. And when he went to the woman and confronted her about it, she broke down and said, yeah, like, that's what I was about to do. He says that wasn't an example of a a word of knowledge or a prophecy. He just says the world is a strange place and strange things happen. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon, who we all love, right? One day we're going to have a picture of him up here. Um was the prince of preachers, had the biggest church in the world, the, the, the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, just an astonishing genius. And uh, like most of his contemporaries, he, as far as we know, was a cessationist. Everyone kind of was, at least in the West, right, in post-Enlightenment Western civilization. And yet he speaks freely in his autobiographies, which you should read, about having this gift, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy. I just don't think he knows what category to put them in, but he speaks freely and, and uncontroversially about them happening. I'm going to read a couple of them to you, and then we're done. All right. So here's, here's what I think is going on with the gift of knowledge, words of knowledge. This is from his autobiography, and a man is testifying, witnessing to this happening. He says, Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. And in his sermon, he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays. And I did. I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took ninepence the Sunday before and that there was fourpence profit out of it. I did take ninepence that day and fourpence was just the profit, but how he should know that, I could not tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him, so I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterwards I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. Another example. On another occasion, Spurgeon broke off. This tended to happen when he was preaching. Which is kind of risky. You don't have time to process. He's just, he, he just goes with it. Spurgeon broke off in his sermon and pointed, Young man, those gloves you're wearing have not been paid for. You have stolen them from your employer. After the service, an agitated man approached Spurgeon and begged to speak with him privately. He placed a pair of gloves on the table and said, It's the first time I've robbed my master and I will never do it again. You won't expose me so, will you? It would kill my mother if she heard that I'd become a thief. Knowledge that comes to him that he could not otherwise have had, which perfectly fits with the experience of someone, the person that he is revealing it to. 
He says of himself, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at someone in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, come see a man that told me all things that I ever did, which is what the woman said to Jesus in John 4. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent by God to my soul or else he could not have described me so exactly. And not only so, but I've known many instances in which the thoughts of men have been revealed from the pulpit. I've sometimes seen persons nudge their neighbours with their elbow because they had got a smart hit. And they've been heard to say when they're going out, the preacher told us just what we said to one another when we went in at the door. Now, if it's true that God still gives gifts to his church. And if it's true that one of those gifts is to give and reveal knowledge that only he knows as a loving father who sees and knows all things, and if the purpose of those gifts is to build up the church, sometimes to move someone away from error or disaster, sometimes just to encourage them that God knows them and understands their situation. If it's true that these gifts can be exercised for the building up of God's people, then should we pursue those gifts? Paul says, yes, please do. And I say the same. Now, I want to go into all kinds of things about how that should be done and the cautions that we should take and all of those things, and we don't have time to do it now. I encourage you, if you're not yet in a small group, please do join one. Phil is down at the back here. He's going to raise his hand. He's the man you need to see. He runs the whole ministry for us, and it's a vital ministry, particularly when it comes to some of these things where we might have fears, we might have bad experiences, we might not know what to do. God gives us community so that we can work them out together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to search your scriptures. Thank you for what you've revealed to us in them. I praise you and thank you that whenever we open your word, we know for sure that you're speaking to us. Your word is a light to our feet. So please continue to guide us on this path that you set out for us. We know that all of your plans for us are good. We know that all of your gifts to us are for our good. And so, Lord, we ask, please continue to graciously guide us and graciously provide us with everything we need to fulfill your purposes in this place. We pray in Jesus' name.